Well, good evening. <laughs> Thanks. Like I feel like a school teacher right when I do that. So, uh, my name's Jack. I'm the lead pastor for uh, Bethany Northeast, which is Bethany's location or campus uh, that meets over at Nathan Hill High School on Sunday mornings. And it's my privilege to be in all the services today. Our, our community decided to uh, gather with the Green Lake community today as it's kind of one of those weekends where a lot of people are traveling. And so that's been kind of fun to be a part of your worship. So thanks for welcoming me into your, your house a little bit and our community as well. We've kind of made it harder for you. <laughs> I'm kidding. We, don't, we aren't that huge. So uh, this is Moses Dehiro. And Moses is the country director for World, Re- World Relief Rwanda. And uh, part of one of, part, one of my roles at Bethany is also as the mission pastor for all six of our locations, and so one of my privileges in that is to uh, walk alongside and, and work in partnership with people like Moses, specifically with Moses. And so um, Moses happened to be in the United States. He got to celebrate Thanksgiving with my family this last couple of days, have his first turkey, which was you're still loving it, right? Yeah, right. I can see that smile. And so, and then he's been able to be with us throughout the day today and, and as an opportunity to learn, for us to learn about our partnership with World Relief and get into God's Word together. And so, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 together, uh, which if you have your Bible or if you have an app on your phone, you can open to that. And we'll be looking, uh, as Megan said, at this theme of sight today as we begin this new series, Coming to Our Senses. Before we do that, though, uh, I just got to travel to Rwanda as part of our, one of our um, teams that went there in September, and I, and I learned this. It's really important in African culture and Rwandan culture. Uh, introductions are really important before you get into any kind of study or conversation, deep, deep conversation, to really know who it is you're having a conversation with. And so I wanted to give Moses uh, a brief opportunity to introduce himself, though I've said your name, tell us who you are, uh, about your family, why you're here. Why are you here? <laughs> tell us a little bit. Thank you so much, Jack. Uh, my name is Moses Ndahiro, and uh, I'm married to one beautiful wife, Benita. And uh, God has blessed us with uh, three kids, uh, Lucas, uh, Layel, and Leanne. And uh, yeah, we're enjoying being parents. Uh, I have also the privilege to work with the World Relief in Rwanda as the country director. Uh, we have a team that works with the, all the churches uh, within the country, and uh, we're glad that we can contribute to what God is doing in the nation of Rwanda. I'm here for one purpose, uh, to really uh, say thank you so much for your prayers and uh, support to the work that uh, we are doing in Rwanda through World Relief, and uh, bring you greetings as well from the people and the pastors of Rwanda, and the staff that uh, I serve with, they know that I'm here, they're praying for me, and uh, they ask me to bring their greetings to you. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for being with us. And so uh, maybe just uh, open our time. Would you, would you mind leading us out in prayer, and then we'll get into God's Word together? Sure. Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you so much uh, for the privilege to be in your house, O Lord, this evening. You're here, you're holy, Lord, and... Uh, we are in your presence. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity for me and uh, Brother Jack to share your word this evening. We pray, Father, that uh, as we share your word, that you will transform us, O oh Lord, and that uh, the word that is going to be shared this evening will glorify your name. Bless everyone, O oh Lord, has made it a uh, priority to come and be part of this fellowship this evening. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we've prayed. Amen. 
All right. Luke chapter 1. Uh, and as Megan mentioned, this our theme this Advent, coming to our senses, we're engaging God through all of our senses. And a lot of us tend to come to God, to faith with our heads. A lot of us do, and that's okay. It's good. It's good to do that. What you find throughout Scripture, though, which is this very striking invitation to come to God with all of yourself, which includes your head, but also your your, ta- your taste buds and your eyes and your ears and your hands to touch, to taste, to see, to feel, all those things. And so that's why we're engaging in this conversation tonight around sight. We want to be able to see how God's moving in the world in which we live, see how he's moving in our lives and inviting us to live in relationship with him. And we're going to do that through Luke chapter 1 tonight. And before we dive into that, I just want to ask you a question to kind of uh, set the table, okay? And the question is, can you think of a time in your life when you failed to see something that was right in front of your eyes. Think of a time in your life when you failed to see something that was right in front of your eyes. I see a few of you uh, looking up like this, like, because that's the, what you do when you think, think, right? So maybe that was your car keys this morning. You know, like, where are my car keys? And they're, they're still in the ignition of your car. No, there was nobody. Okay, good. Uh, just checking. Maybe that, I did a word search on Saturday with my kids, we were at a restaurant in Coopville, and there's that word on the word search, you know, the backwards diagonal one that goes all the way across? Couldn't find it. Right before my eyes, though, because it was right there. Um, maybe it's that person in a crowd. You're looking for them, can't find them, you're here, and they're like standing right in front of you, and duh, you know? We all have had those experiences, right? Failed to see something that's right in front of our eyes. Why do you think that is? <laughs> like, what's up with that? If it's right there, why are we missing it? There's actually been a lot of research around this, but before I explain what that is, I wanted to show you a quick little video. I think that it helps illustrate this really well. So let's watch this. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? It's really easy to miss something when you're not looking for it, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, trick me. Yeah. Uh, this is a phenomenon called um, selective perception. And some of you are psychologists, you've studied psychology, you've heard of this. There was this, it was first discovered or researched by this guy named Ulrich Neisser. And he did exactly what this video illustrates. He got a, a group of people together and put them on two teams and gave them a basketball and told them to pass it. And they took a video of that. And then he filmed a woman with an umbrella. And then he superimposed that film on top of the other film. And he got some research subjects, sat them down, and asked them to do exactly what they asked you to do, count the number of times the white team or the black team passed to the other team. And what they found is that just a a striking 79% of people failed to see the woman with the umbrella. Uh, How many of you saw the moonwalking bear? Was it a bear or gorilla? How many of you saw that 
in the first take. Okay, so this is like Beth, I'm sorry, Bethany, 79%, we are way below average here. <laughs> like all day long, it's been like one or two people, so we have a little work to do. But it's okay. That's selective perception, which is really this idea. Um, there's been hundreds of these studies ever since. If you just Google that, you're going to find moonwalking bears and dancing gorillas and all kinds of fun stuff. And it, the idea is that when our attention's occupied by one thing, we often fail to notice the many other things that are happening all around us. Selective perception. Why, why does that happen? What, what's going on here? I mean, it seems at first blush like kind of strange. I talked to my daughter about this, and, and, and she's, she's 11. She, what, what's going on? Why would I miss the bear or the gorilla? Why, you know, why can't I see it? Is it really possible that, that we're constantly failing to see things that are right in front of us? There's some invisible force preventing that. Like here tonight, there's things actually happening in this room, and you're not seeing them. Is that possible? And what Nicer suggests through his research is yes. It's possible. In fact, it happens all the time all around us. We're constantly overlooking much of the world that's all around us, which is, at a level, a really good thing. So how many of you drive? Hopefully more of you drive than so a few of you drive. That's a good thing when you're driving to not focus on all the cars, but really just the one car right in front of you. Otherwise, there'd be a lot more accidents. So focus if you're driving on that one car. It'll be a good day. But here's the key. We also tend to miss much of what's going on in the world around us. A lot of that is good. So for example, you know, uh, this moonwalking bear, that's good. <laughs> or this child in, in your life that's inviting you to get on the floor and just play with them. Or God inviting you to take this next step of faith. We sometimes just miss that because we're so focused on something else. We miss God saying, hey, would you step out in this new journey? So what would happen if we enlarged our perception of God? And that's what I want to invite us to do tonight uh, through this text in Luke 1, uh, to not selectively perceive what God has for us, but to have a, a broader view, a bigger view of the world that we might really absorb and, and respond to what God's inviting us to do. And we're going to do that through Luke chapter 1. And if, you look, if you're looking at it now, it's a long chapter, and this isn't going to be a long, long sermon. Don't worry. And so it's a, big, it's a lot of stories. We're going to break it down into three scenes, so three parts to this story. Scene one, scene two, scene three, okay? And so the first scene, uh, this is where you're going to meet the characters Zachariah and Mary. And, uh, and this is an opportunity for us to really wrap our heads around what it looks like to cultivate healthy doubt, okay? That's kind of the thesis of scene, scene one. And so, uh, Zachariah and Mary, you, some of you know who Zachariah is, but I'll tell you really quickly about him. Zachariah is the father of John the Baptist. He's married to Elizabeth, who is uh, Mary's cousin. And Elizabeth and Zachariah, as you read this story, you find out that they cannot conceive. They, Elizabeth is barren, is what the NIV says. It also says that they're advanced in years, which is a really delicate way of just saying they're old. These are old people, Okay. And so as you read the story, you're finding out that they've been praying for this child for years, what seems like years, and critically, they've kind of given up hope that that's ever going to happen for them. They've been longing for a child. They can't have children. It's kind of, that's the end of their story. Well, as the story goes, Elizabeth gets pregnant. She miraculously gets pregnant, and, and not just pregnant, but John the Baptist pregnant. Like, if you know him... This guy is amazing. He's going to be this great revivalist preacher. He's going to be the forerunner and prophet for Jesus, the Messiah. And so if I'm Zachariah, and I'm a dad, I have two kids, I'm going to, that's the birth announcement. I'm like, that's a good day. I can't wait to get home and tell my wife, right? Apparently, that's not what happens to him. 
So he gets news of this pregnancy from uh, Gabriel, and he's, he's in the temple doing his priest thing, whatever that looks like. And this angel appears before his eyes, gives him that news. And rather than responding like you or I might respond like, sweet, that's the best news ever, listen to what Zechariah does. Verse 18 of Luke 1. How can I be sure of this? How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is along, well along in years. And that, that's a really important statement for us to focus in on here especially as you read it in the context of the wider story, and specifically Mary's story. So let's flip to Mary real quick. And so God has an encounter with Mary, too. She sees an angel. Remember, we're on this theme of sight. Sees an angel. In verse 26, she sees this angel. And, and it's significant to note in this encounter both the similarities between her encounter with Gabriel and Zachariah's encounter, as well as some of the differences. So this angel comes to her, reveals to her who her son's going to be. It's going to be Jesus, the Messiah, this long-awaited king. His kingdom, like we just heard this Isaiah prophecy, it's never going to end. That's amazing. Listen to how she responds. Verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? So very similar response, and yet also distinct, very distinct. And I want to pay attention to both of those. So uh, both of them doubt the certainty of God's promises. That's, that's number one. Uh, they're chock full of doubts, both of them. Zechariah and Mary are, are just full of doubt. Uh, and yet, only one of them, Mary, is blessed in her doubt. Mary is blessed in her doubt, while Zechariah is literally cursed. He's silenced or muted as you read the story. And I want to pause here. We have to be careful with Zechariah. Um, otherwise, we can just feel like Zechariah kind of got the short straw. He got the grumpy old angel. He got Gabriel on a bad day, you know, Whatever happened to Zechariah? He didn't do anything, did he? He just said the same thing Mary said, as I'm reading it. Uh, and, and it's not that Zechariah did something wrong, necessarily. It's, it's perhaps better, it's the posture in which he stood, or, or maybe the way in which he said it. Okay, I often tell this to my daughter. It's not what you're saying, it's how you're saying it. <laughs> and here's what I mean by that. Here's Zechariah's response again, Luke 1.18. How can I be sure... How can I be sure? And here's Mary again, verse 34. How will this be? Do you hear the difference? It's a pretty significant difference. They both use the Greek word for to know, gnosko. Uh, and it's kind of hidden in, their, in the English language. Zachariah puts gnosko, to know, in the future tense. So, and whereas Mary frames hers in the present tense. Okay, if you read this in Greek. And that makes all the difference right there. Present versus future. If you studied English, you know this. In other words, both doubt the promises of God. They're full of doubts. But Mary, only Mary, frames her doubt as a present reality. And that's super important for us as people of faith. Here's the literal translation of Zechariah's statement. I will not believe this is happening until it happens. I'm not going to believe it. Prove it. Give me a sign. You've seen these people in the Old Testament that need signs. This is Zechariah. Or if you're a Jerry Maguire fan, show me the money, Right? Now, here's Mary. I can't believe this is happening, but I accept that it's happening. That's what present reality is. I can't believe it. It's, it's amazing. I'm a virgin. That doesn't happen, uh, but I accept it. Now, let me turn to Moses here because I've been talking uh, for a little bit here. We, you know, there's this wonderfully nuanced way in which the Bible uh, articulates doubt and our response to doubt. And I love this. I can't believe this is happening, but I accept that it's happening. You and I have been together for a few days now, getting to know each other. And, and I've heard some of your stories right there. I can't believe this is happening, 
but I accept that it's happening. Where has that shown up in your own life as you've walked through uh, your journey of, of growing up in Uganda as a refugee and, and then facing things like the genocide and all your, just tell your story a little bit. Uh, thank you so much, Jack. Uh, I think I'll share three occasions uh, that have happened uh, in my life. One is uh, as I grew up, um, the refugee uh, nation, I was a refugee in Uganda uh, and I was born there. And uh, growing up in that nation, uh, our parents had tried many times to get back to Rwanda and they had failed, so there was really no hope that I uh, would you know, have the opportunity to call a place home and uh, had lots of doubt even when people are talking about uh, the hopes to go back I had doubt in my life that it would ever happen. And we started learning foreign uh, languages. I learned three languages right in that nation to find how to survive because there was no need to study French, which was being used uh, in Rwanda by then. Now, through that, um, God did make it happen. And uh, 1994, uh, the Rwandese had the opportunity to get back to their country. And uh, getting into the country, uh, as much as we wanted to be there, it was uh, a traumatic uh, situation where there were only dead bodies on the streets and dogs walking. People were really hiding or had fled the country. And even those who would uh, make it were driving when their windows were up because of the stench that was around the nation. And uh, most of the people were coming uh, back to their home country could not see the future of the nation. Some of them went back and uh, others stayed and say, let's see what can come out of this. And God has been very uh, faithful. We've seen um, our nation really uh, turn the face of what it is in 1994. And uh, we decided to stay in the country. Uh, by the grace of God, uh, we survived and uh, here we are. On that journey, uh, I happened to go to school. I completed uh, my university as a computer engineer, worked for a Canadian company as a web designer, network administrator. I did that for two years. And uh, during that, I was as well serving as a volunteer at my local church as a missions coordinator. And uh, God really uh, transformed my heart and I was picking more interest and getting fulfillment uh, serving the most vulnerable people, and I had to shift uh, my career to uh, serving in ministry, and that uh, was another doubtful moment in my life where I really uh, thought, will I have enough working with the church to take care of my family? And many uh, friends of mine, my parents, uh, could not believe that I was making this uh, transition, but uh, God has been faithful in all these doubts that I had in my life. You know, a lot of us can't identify very well with um, the journey of, of growing up in another country as a refugee or certainly having to face uh, something like the genocide in 1994. And some of us, maybe even this decision you had to make mm -hmm. in careers, some of us are just beginning that journey and we have great hopes for it. But I, I, I wonder all of you at a level, I'm going to put this question at you, have some sort of doubt you're living with. You haven't necessarily been a refugee, but a lot of us live in this experience of exile. I once heard that exile, similar to being a refugee, is being in a place you don't want to be with people you don't want to be with. 
Uh, you're in a foreign land, and a lot of us are there right now. We live in a, a state of political exile right now. Our, our country feels very broken and divided. The difference between the races and the racism and all these things that are just all around us all the time. We feel like we're very lost as a people. And you may be asking, doubting, God, is there any way forward for us as a people? Have you forsaken us? Maybe that's you. Uh, you probably haven't had to face something like a genocide where you've lost everyone in your life, uh, but certainly there's been tragedies you've faced. You've gotten a diagnosis. You've lost a relative. A, a relationship is broken. And certainly all of us are facing decisions as we drive to and from campus or work every day on that road. Uh, it's not even a proverbial road. If you're stuck in traffic, you're wondering, is there any meaning in my life? Is this it? I mean, that movie? <laughs> the office space or whatever it is, is this it? Uh, all of us are full of doubt. Where are you doubting right now? Where are you s feeling skeptical? Where are you feeling cynical a little bit? And, and what I love about Luke 1 right now as we transition to the second scene is, is that God doesn't invite us to take wild leaps of faith and overcome those doubts. No. God says, come to me in your doubts. Come to me with the, your doubts. Allow me to embrace you in those and I'll make much more of those than you could ever ask or imagine. So, and you see this with, with Mary, you see this with Zachariah, you see it with my friend Moses, you see with the people of God in Rwanda that, that doubt is never the end of our story. The story gets to continue with Mary and Zachariah. They get to be part of God's story for generations. That's why we're talking about them today. This is Romans 8, that God is going to use every circumstance in your life to bring you into conformity with Christ, including your doubts and where you, you feel like, man, there's no way forward in my life. So where are you doubting right now? Where are you struggling with taking a next step? Might you engage God with that instead of setting it aside? So that's scene one. Scene two. And this is where I think we're going to be invited to, to begin to see ourselves as God sees us, which is really critical. Uh, and like scene one, there's a lot we could have unpacked there in this chapter. And there's a lot in this one as well. But I want to focus on just one thing with you, and it's something that Moses and I got to talk about over Turkey on Thursday, uh, and it's in verses 6 and verse 15. So if you have Luke 1 open, let me read these for you. Actually, I'll read verses 5 and 6, and then verse 15. So verse 5 and 6, it's in the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who we just met. He belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His, his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. All right, pause there. Verse 15. He, John, who's their son, will be a joy, this is Gabriel speaking, will be a joy and a delight to you, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. So did you notice in both of those verses, this phrase that's used in both verses, in the sight of of the Lord. You know, Moses and I are talking about this over Turkey, and that's actually a really good translation. It's in some of our Bibles, it says something different. But if you look at it in the original language, it actually literally would say, literally rendered, before God's eyes. This is how Mary, or, uh, Zechariah and Mary, uh, Elizabeth are, and this is how John is. To be, in, in other words, to be seen as God sees us is really where the rubber of faith meets the road of our lives. We need to begin to see ourselves as God sees us. That's a really critical move to make in the life of faith. Take Elizabeth and Zechariah, for example. 
God sees them as righteous. When we, we hear that word, we think religious. No, that means somebody who's pursuing God with their whole life. They're praying. They're asking God for revelation. They're, they're going to church on Sunday, and they're, they're part of small groups, but they're, they're also deeply faithful to God. Now, this boy named John the Baptist is going to come into their life and wreck it, like wreck it. This guy is, you know, wild. Goes out. I have a son who's six, and he climbed all over me this afternoon uh, during the Seahawks game trying to watch it. Man, he doesn't even hold a candle to John the Baptist. Do you think they're going to need a little bit of God in their life to give them energy and sustenance through that journey? They're going to need to be righteous. Uh, then their son, John, he's great. He's a great man, strong. He's full of faith. He's going to accomplish much for God. But <laughs> he's also going to have his head handed on a plate to someone. He's the first martyr in the Christian movement. You think he's going to need to hear from God? You're great, Zechariah. Continue this journey. I'm sorry, John. And then later, Mary, you know, uh, God calls her favored. He favors her. He has a special heart for her. Uh, she's, she's someone who God looks upon and says, I love you. I delight in you. Um, and this is a woman who is going to face incredible persecution with her son. She's going to lose her son at an early age. You think she's going to need to hear that message of delight again and again and again. How God sees us is, is critical uh, to who we are. It shapes our identity. It forms our identity and, 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 and how we live in response to him and obedience to him. And, and the reason I bring this up is, as most and I have gotten to know each other again this last several days, and as I've been a, gotten to be a part of some of your work this last fall when I was in Rwanda, one of the phrases I keep hearing come up through World Relief is, is this idea of mindset transformation. That's one of the hallmarks, I'd say, of World Relief, as I've gotten to know it. I know there's a lot more you could talk about, but I'd love for you to just share a couple examples of, of what that means and how that relates to this, this sort of shift in, in, in God seeing us, or us seeing ourselves as God sees us. Yeah. Um, world Relief, we have a, a deep conviction uh, in what we do that... Uh, true lasting change requires us to align our beliefs to our values and then the behaviors that we do. And when we get into any community, uh, because our mission requires us to empower the local church to serve the most vulnerable, uh, we bring different denominations together. That would be Adventist, Catholics, uh, Anglicans, uh, evangelicals, we bring them all together on the same table and uh, we get into a conversation where we agree that we are going to respect one another for our differences, but let us focus on the issues that bring us together. And that means if poverty comes into the community, if there is malaria in the community, we need to address these issues together. And that's one of the key mindset issues that we deal with because we've seen how division can break a nation. And we are trying to undo that by bringing unity and starting with the body of Christ. Because we know very well when malaria comes into a community, it doesn't come hunting for the Presbyterians and skip the Anglicans. It's a community problem. So we need to focus and bring our efforts together. So that's where we begin with a mindset transformation. And that's really how God wants to see us, you know. So we want to make sure that as the body of Christ, we are really are doing what uh, God wants us to do. Then the other uh, um, area where we address is the community transformation, the work that we do with the people and the most vulnerable, where 
we are trying to discover what are the harmful beliefs in the community and how can we replace those with the truth of the word of God. An example is uh, you will get into a community and you find that uh, they have lack of access to clean water and uh, you try to educate people to boil the water that they are having. And uh, people will tell you in the community, and they always challenge our staff in the community and say, why should I boil this water that you're asking me to boil? My great-great-parents drank this water from this river. They never boiled it, and they lived to be 70, 100 years. My parents did the same. Why should I boil this water? And we try to educate them and telling them, look here, a hundred years ago, we only had 10 to 20 people in this village. Now you have a thousand people living in this village. The germs that were in the village then are not compared to the germs that we are seeing today in this community. Hence the need for us to really boil the water because the germs and the dirt that is getting into the rivers is on a larger scale than it was before. So those are some of the issues that we are dealing with. And of recent, we are actually shifting with the work that we are doing with the Bethan Community Church in Musanze. We've been having a program called OVC, Orphans and Vulnerable Children. And we are realizing that uh, by just calling this program and the children that we label the children uh, to be called OVC, which has created a stigma around them. And you're trying to change that uh, uh, name of the program and you're calling it Child and Family Strengthening because we want to make sure that uh, these children are having access to families and they're growing in loving uh, families where they can thrive. So there is a need to make sure that these children we are serving the most vulnerable, that we do not give them uh, a name that will create stigma, but have a programming and uh, all the areas that will make sure that these children are seen and are served the way God wants them to be served. Yeah, yeah I love that, that idea that uh, even here with Luke 1, that God is inviting us as we attempt to see ourselves as he sees us, not to carry a stigma around with us. Mm. You know, people who are addicts or broken or whatever, you have this stigma, though that may be true of your story, but really to begin seeing ourselves in a different light. You're blessed, you're beloved, you're whole. That's how God sees you when he looks out at you, if you were sitting here looking out at you. Uh, it reminds me actually of, of Jesus when he's facing the opportunity to begin his ministry. Before he you know, performs a single miracle, teaches a single sermon, calls a single disciple, he has to have that same work done to him. God calls him out into the desert. His cousin John the Baptist is going to baptize him. And what does God say to Jesus? These very important words, you are my beloved. And, and in you I delight. Why did Jesus, the Son of God, eternally begotten, not made. <laughs> you know, he's with the Father. For me, he's the creator of the universe. Why does he need to hear those words? That's strange. If maybe in his humanity he needed to have that drilled into his heart in the same way that we do in order to take the journey of faith that he was going to take, which isn't that different from our journeys, though it's unique. Taking steps of faith to follow God, you need to hear these words. You're beloved. You're beloved. Uh, that's the core truth of our existence. We need to grasp onto that, and that's one of the things that Luke 1 invites us to do, to be and become the beloved. And that's why we get to do this during Advent every year, to meditate on and ruminate on this idea that Jesus incarnate came to bless us, not to, not to bring stigma on our lives. Um, 
So that's the second thing. We begin to learn to see ourselves as God sees us. Final scene, and this is where I think we gain a clearer vision of, of God's activity on earth. And I want to invite us to finish this message by uh, the way we kind of started it. And I'm going to have Moses read this passage. At the very end of Luke chapter 1, there's two songs. If you look in there, you'll see your Bible probably has it laid out like a little poem. And there's Zechariah's prophecy, and there's Mary's song. Mary's song often called the Magnificat. Uh, we sing it sometimes during Advent. And uh, so I just want to invite us to listen to that and invite Moses to read it over us. And so I'd invite you to go ahead and close your eyes if you'd be so courageous to do so uh, and allow Moses just to bless us with the reading of this, uh, this song. This is in verses 46 to 55 of Luke 1. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generation will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down my mighty he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offsprings forever. I'm good. Open your eyes now. Uh, it's a beautiful passage, isn't it? Uh, it's one we, we might not open up that often because it just comes around once a year at Christmas. How unfortunate. Uh, the Magnificat, it's powerful. And for a couple of things I want to just kind of throw at you as we leave tonight. Um, number one, in verse 48, notice what Mary said. He, God, has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me Blessed. You might just insert beloved. She got it. She got number one. Think of this, Mary. She's an unwed teenage mother. Estimates are that she's around 15 years old right now in this story. And in that day and today, that's an incredible stigma, an incredible burden to carry. And yet, the mindset shift for her is this, I'm blessed generations, you're talking about her today, call her blessed. She begins to see herself as God sees her, not as the world around her would see her. And that's our challenge from Mary today. If she, if a 15-year-old girl can begin to see herself as God sees her, I think we can too. So that's the first challenge. The second from her song is this. She begins to grasp that it's not just for her. She begins to, to grasp the gravity of this person coming into her life. She, she is seized by the power of this great affection and then propelled out into the world. Listen to this. Verse 50, 51 and 54, she starts to talk about in song God's mercy. She understands that we have a merciful God. Verse 52, she says this, that God lifts up the humble. I love the message translation of this, that it, she envisions God pulling victims out of the mud. It's a beautiful image. And then verse 53, she envisions and sings about a God filling 
hungry with good things. Here's the message again, that, that she sees that God's uh, serving the starving poor at a banquet table. Do you hear Jesus in there? I mean, Jesus in Luke 4, just a few pages, if you turn to Luke 4 sometime, this is what Jesus says of himself. What have I come to do? I've come to deliver the poor, proclaim good news to the poor, pardon prisoners, give sight to the blind, set the burdened and battered free. So Jesus was about. It's good that we're here, but, but Jesus would critically be about those who would never dare come here, the least, the last, the low, the down, the out. And he'd invite us to be about walking with them. Uh, and then earlier in Isaiah, one of the prophets caught this vision of a God who, who is Jesus, who is going to set a table for people from every nation. That's why I love that we come here tonight. Every nation is invited to gather at this table. And at that table, the one who, the host at this table has the power to swallow up death. This is Isaiah 25. To wipe every tear from every eye. There will be no more mourning, no more grief, no more sorrow. And get this, remove every sign of disgrace from their lives. A lot of disgrace in our lives. A lot of things you've done and seen and said and heard. Places you've been. You're carrying it with you right now. And Jesus promises when he invites you to this table with all people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to wipe that away. Uh, I love that, because, that, and that's a game changer because Mary begins to see this world for whom Christ is going to die. It's not just about her ticket to heaven. It's never just about that. It's about this world in which we're called to live and engage with. And that's one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons we are in partnership with World Relief. Uh, I love World Relief because they don't just focus on this one event, 1994, Let's deal with it. They're focused on what God is doing in this country, building hope, uh, serving the most vulnerable. Uh, it's based on this commitment that Mary had to walk with Jesus, and, and we get to do that with you, and I'm very privileged that we get to do that because um, that's what Jesus would have us be about. That's what he was about, right? So let me just ask a couple questions as we close, Moses, as we can, so we can kind of wrap up. Um, what are a couple ways that you're most excited about World Reef's work um, and, and maybe a couple ways we can leave knowing how to pray for you better as we continue this partnership. Because I know you're going to go home tomorrow morning, and the conti work continues. Mm -hmm. And it's good work, but it's hard. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I think what is uh, exciting at this moment uh, in Rwanda is that uh, we are seeing the unit and collaboration getting stronger in the communities where we are working. Um, as we serve different families with the programs that we have, let it be the child development program, the savings for life programs, our water project, we are starting to see vulnerable families move from uh, a state of uh, despair to dignity that people really are starting to see themselves according to God's will and purposes that has created them for. We are starting to see uh, families move from a state of brokenness to restoration. In Christ, we are starting to see our families move from a state of dependence because many people grew up in refugee camps. They grew up on f too much aid. So seeing people transform to uh, a state of self-reliance, that is very exciting to see uh, happening in Rwanda. In the midst of that, we still have many challenges as much as there's progress happening in the nation. Uh, 38% in Rwanda of our children below five years are malnourished. And that has a huge impact on the future of the nation if we don't act now because that affects their brain development and that makes them uh, very 
challenged in being competitive and creating solutions to the needs they will have. So we are working hard to find how can we uh, help this uh, next generation of the country. 39.1% of the Rwandan community today are under the poverty line, and that means they can't make more than a dollar and 25 cents per day. So we need to break these chains of poverty in different ways, and uh, we are asking for prayers that uh, people can uh, stand with the vulnerable in our nation, stand with Rwanda, and uh, I really want to uh, request that uh, every one of us here, I believe that uh, together we can do something, and uh, you can pray, you can support uh, financially, you can come on a mission trip, you can be an advocate for the work that we are doing in partnership with the BCC here, that uh, through uh, the guidance of Jack and Nathan, they can lead you in uh, possible ways that you can be part of what God is doing in Rwanda. So thank you so much for the privilege. It's been a pleasure to have you here this week yeah. uh, and celebrate Thanksgiving with you and do a little bit of study with you. So. Um, we go ahead and pray for you, World Relief, and, um, you. and invite us to uh, prepare our hearts for coming to the Lord's table. Will you join me in praying? God, we do thank you for uh, the partnership that you've invited us into with World Relief in Rwanda, here in Seattle even, um, the opportunities that it affords us as your followers to see more of what you're doing in the world and to participate in that, though that's challenging, God. When we, when we hear statistics and we know stories, uh, we sometimes feel like we're incapable, God, of doing anything. So, God, I, I pray for our community seated here tonight and then those that gathered all day uh, to have the courage and, and the big vision for the world for how to respond. God, would you call us forward in relationship with uh, this world uh, you've broken, that, that, that you've died for that is so broken? Um, and thank you that we get to do that with people like Moses, with World Relief. Um, in partnership. Uh, bless them, God, in their work as they face the daily challenges of uh, serving the most vulnerable. And God, bless us as we come to the table tonight. Thank you that you've set it for us to come to, to have a deeper experience and encounter with you. So open our hearts to that end. And it's in your name, Christ, that we pray. Amen.